about you this morning and that, God, we would carry it into our week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to jump right into it this morning. No fun story to start, sorry. Uh, Luke chapter 15 uh, is where we're going to be. And to recap of where we have been, last week we looked at a family, two sons and a father. And the youngest son showed up to the father and demanded his inheritance early. He goes and in essence says to the father, I wish that you were dead. I just want to go ahead and receive what I would get when you do die because I'm tired of waiting. He's done with his family, his father. He's done with his faith. He's done with the rules, the responsibility. He wants to live on his own as he desires doing whatever he wants. It was a shocking demand. And even more surprisingly, The father then liquidates and gives his son what he asks. He he meets the son's desires, and the son then runs off to a far-off country to pursue every pleasure and to pursue the promises that this world can offer, and there he squanders his wealth. His lifestyle exceeds his bankroll, and he is done. He was broke. And then famine hit. He turns into a beggar, a person, a kid that had had everything his whole life is now begging and is working in a field feeding pigs, longing to eat what they eat. And so that's where we pick up verse 18. It'll be on the screens. I will arise and go to my father's house, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, and we're going to stop right there. I know we're going to get to the other part of the story. Trust me, today we're getting there. But we're stopping right there for a moment. The son is at rock bottom with nowhere to turn, no one to go to, no one to help. He's hopeless. And everybody that Jesus is telling this story to knows that he has burned every bridge imaginable and that now he is just experiencing the consequences of sin. Surely this is the lesson Jesus is teaching us. When we pursue a sinful lifestyle, this is what we will receive. But that's not the story Jesus is teaching. See, the son decides to go home. And for a long time, I have read this with a cynical heart. I've just read this as this little weasel is just coming up with another way to get help. He's just going, there's nowhere else. I can at least try this avenue. I've always read it with a jaded mindset that, that he is just selfish in this. But I invite you today to read this with grace in your heart and your mind. I invite you today to read this with compassion. I invite you today to look at this as repentance. He's not just trying to save himself. He is admitting his failure. He is confessing his sins. He's acknowledging his faults. He is looking squarely in the face of all that he has done, and he says, I am wrong. I have failed. I have sinned. You can actually translate that verse that I have sinned against heaven as really I have sinned into heaven. 
He's almost saying, I have made a pile of sin so large that it reaches heaven. I understand that. I have sinned against heaven and against you right now. He is accepting responsibility, admitting helplessness. He's confessing sin. He is turning to the only one that he can believe will help him. This is repentance. He didn't sugarcoat his sinfulness. He didn't downplay his dishonor. He is just, he's not justifying his actions. He is planning to go and stand bare before the Father and say, I have messed up. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Will you just hire me as a servant? It's interesting that he picks the role of servant here. As you get into the Greek, he's asking to be a hired servant. In that day, there was, a different, there was different classes. So you, you, know, you had the family, but then in the house, there would be a household servant that would take care of things around the house. But then there also would have been slaves. And then the lowest on the totem pole would have been the hired servant. The household servant and the slaves would have had a place to sleep. They would have had clothing given to them by the master, and they would have had food. A hired servant would only get a day's wage and then would then have to figure out how to afford all the necessities of life. Oftentimes, this day laborer uh, is the best way we can understand it. Oftentimes, they were homeless. They were just barely getting by if they were. But if you remember, the son remembers that his father, even his servants, had more than enough bread to eat. He is standing there going, Father, will you just allow me to be the lowest man in the, in the household? I, I don't want anything. I'm not assuming. I'm not trying to take nepotism here. I, I am just taking the lowest position you can imagine. Would you just do that? This son started with a dishonorable demand, and now he is making the lowest request. But why return home? See, too many of us, I don't think we would return home. I think too many of us are too afraid to admit the mess that we have made to ever really seek out mercy. Too many of us want to keep fixing it on our own or die trying to ever seek help from someone else. But he comes to the point where he repents. Why would he go to his father? Because he knows the character of his father. He knows the character of his father. A father that paid servants more than most. A father who was not going to be vengeful or spiteful. A father that he had seen be good for year after year after year, even in his disobedience. He returns because he Trust in the character of the Father. He has faith in the Father to provide him with what he doesn't deserve, to show him mercy and to act kindly. I love the lyric from Come Ye Sinners because so many of us try to get better before we go back. Don't we? We try to get better before we go back. We, we make promises, God, I will, let me clean this up before I then ask for your forgiveness. But I love what come ye sinners, poor and needy says. It says, come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Guys, we don't need to get cleaned up to go before God. This isn't like when somebody's coming over to your house and you say, well, we got to clean up before the maid comes, Right? 
Did you grow up in a household that had a maid that the mom would say, we need to clean up before she or he gets here? That's how we treat God too often. We've got to get better before we go back. If we tarry till we're better, we will never come at all. We're never going to get good enough. Instead, we need to respond with what the chorus of that song says. I will arise and go to Jesus, and he will embrace me in his arms. I, have, I, I do not believe at all that the son would expect what's going to happen when he gets back. But I do believe that the son had faith in the character of his father that that was the best option for him. Nowhere else could there be hope found except in the father and his household. So he journeys back. I don't know how long the journey is. We know we're into a far country. Some of us, we, uh, you maybe take vacations where you take a long journey. Our family doesn't mind driving. When you grow up in Alabama, I'm just going to say this, all right? Texas beaches just, just don't do it for you. When you have grown up in Gulf Shores and in Destin and those areas, it's, it's hard. Galveston's a little murky. So we don't mind taking that 12-hour drive. Now, the drive there is great. You know, you, you've got all your snacks packed. They're organized. They're, everything's orderly. The tablets are charged. Everybody's in a good mood. The beach is in front of us. We, I know Cooper will be like, oh, can I watch one more show? Well, let's limit a little screen time, buddy. We're, we'll talk some more. Let's play a game together. The drive there is exciting, isn't it? That drive home, though, if only you could one-way it. The drive home, you've been around each other for a little while. You're just ready to get back. Work is awaiting you, not the beach. You just hand him the tablet and say, I hope it stays charged till we get home. We don't even count screen time anymore. It's cheat day. I mean, this is just how it goes, right? The journey there is exciting. The journey back, oh my gosh, can we just get through it? Can you imagine that son when he left the home? He was excited. His pockets were full of cash, his mind full of ideas, his heart ready to experience life. But on the way home, he's struggling. He's starving. He's penniless. He's exhausted. He probably slept on the side of the road and endured danger every single night. He left rich but returning poor. He left full but returns empty. He was excited and now he is exhausted. He's been planning this speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Will you hire me as a servant? He, he knows that when he gets to town, most likely he will have to wait in the town square because his father will hear the word that his son has arrived, but he will make him uh, linger in that place of waiting. So probably three or so days he would stay in the town square, enduring all the scorn and slander of everybody in the town square as his father waits to even give him presents. Verse 20. That's his expectation. And he arose and he came to the father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran. And he embraced him. And he kissed him. 
And the son said to the father, he's got this speech, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's where his speech stops. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, my son, was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. When he was a long way off. This matters. Because what we see is that the father. Has always had one eye on his work. And one eye on the horizon. His father was waiting. Hoping. Looking. Wishing for that son. His heart was open for the son. His hope was still alive for that son. The father is still seeking, like we will see in the other two parables of Luke chapter 15. But he's not forcing his love upon the son. He is waiting and always ready to offer it to the son. Not only does he spot him a long way off, it would have been midday, that's the only way he would have been able to see His house would have probably been on a hill. He could see past the town square to the distance, and he sees a son probably struggling every step along the way. And what does the father do? He knows it's midday. The town square would be bustling. Everybody would be around trading and buying and selling and all of this good stuff. And and so the father takes off running. He hikes up his robe and begins to sprint The term used here is in an athletic competition. He is running like he is in a race, is what you need to understand. He wants to be the first to see the Son, the first to speak to the Son. Why? He knows what awaits that Son in the square. The slander, the scorn. He knows what he will receive from the crowds, and he takes off running. Now, Most of us are normal people who hate running, okay? There are some psychos out there, one of them sitting in that back corner, who likes to run. I put them in a category of the psychos that say coffee tastes good, all right? Like, I I don't get it. I hate it. I feel like I'm going to die every second I am running. I think that means I'm unhealthy, but I, I hate running. It's awful, and yet in our culture, still people run. I mean, probably when you drove here today, you saw somebody running. It's normal. It's something that people do. We, we do it to stay fit, to be healthy, to get outside. Running, though, in the first century Israel was only for kids and servants. You didn't run. You didn't, you walked. You were never hurried. You were in charge of your time. You were not trying to catch up to something. For, for this man to be running, it goes against everything that they can conceptualize. In fact, Arabic translators, because they understand the culture and they understand that the people that they are translating the Bible to would be so off-put by this because they know that the Father is representative of God. They couldn't even translate the Bible to say the father ran because it was so dishonorable. Instead, they said he hurried because Jesus is painting a picture that just doesn't make sense. 
the father who has been mistreated and abused by this son is now taking off running. Why does he want to be there? He runs because he wants to be the first one there. He wants to stand in the way and deflect every bit of scorn and mistreatment. He wants to take it upon himself. Does that sound familiar? Someone who loves us so much that they endure on our behalf so that we don't have to. Willingly taking the punishment that we deserve, though innocent, being treated as guilty. It is a scandalous act and it only becomes more scandalous. He runs, he embraces him. Imagine the smell, the dirt, the uncleanness. He begins to kiss him repeatedly, over and over and over again. See, the son, when he arrived at the father, he should have fallen down on his feet and just asked to kiss the feet of his father. The son should have fallen down at his feet and asked to kiss the feet of his father. And what happens? The father changes every bit of it and runs to the son and throws his arms around him and begins to kiss him repeatedly over and over, showing that they have relationship, that there is love here, that there is forgiveness in this moment. I accept you. And the son begins his confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called a son. But the son's speech is interrupted by grace, isn't it? Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Get the fattened calf, slaughter it, let's eat. He doesn't even get a chance to ask to be a servant before he is reinstated as a son. That's the love of the Father. That's total forgiveness. That's full atonement. On no action of the Son whatsoever, but simply by the grace of the Father. John MacArthur says, forgiveness is not a reward for merits through good works. You don't get forgiveness because you're so good. No. You get forgiveness because God is so good. We cannot earn it. We simply accept it. The father interrupts the son and starts giving orders quickly. ASAP as possible, he is saying, go and get this taken care of. Get him the best robe. The robe would have been worn at really significant events. It's like a tuxedo, but even better because in the, you wouldn't even wear the best robe to just somebody's wedding. You would save the best robe for your son or your daughter's wedding. It was reserved for something of such great occasion. Or it could be given to an honored guest that was so distinguished that you would supply this robe for them. The son becomes the honored guest. Put a ring on his finger. The ring is a symbol of authority. It it gives him, in a sense, the power of attorney because it would have the family crest on it. And so if he ever sealed an envelope with the ring, they would have no way to tell was that the father, was that the son. He is given, like, I'm stuck on a word here. He is given equal status with the father In the family, when he gets that ring, he is given authority over everything that they own. Put shoes on his feet. See, all the servants and slaves would have been barefoot. Shoes signified family. 
Give him shoes. He is reinstated as a son. Give him the best. No expense spared. Nothing held back. Think for a moment. This son had wished his father dead. He had robbed his family of all these goods. He has a history of really poor financial practice. He's abused family resources. And now he is being reinstated with full privileges and actually more than he had before he left. Then a feast is thrown. Go and kill the fattened calf. Now I'm going to tell you, up until this week, I have read that as the fattened cow. Forgetting that a calf becomes a cow after a certain amount of time. No, they didn't want steak, they wanted veal. And so the calf, what you have to understand, is a very small time window to fatten him up and to kill him. Most likely, there would have been an occasion. This calf would have been chosen at birth. There would have been an occasion for this calf to have been being prepared for, and they were excited about this special occasion. Well, guess what? That occasion's pushed to the side because my son, who was dead, is now alive. Who was lost is now found. This calf was then killed, slaughtered, and eaten. Every bit of the best the father has to offer is given to the son. Last week I said that we are the sun, wayward, wandering, wasteful, rebellious, sinful, dishonorable. We have sought our own way of living. We have sought freedom. We have sought a life without the Father. We have been selfish and prideful and lustful and envious and careless and we've lacked compassion. We have failed to honor God as our Father. We have, made, we have worshipped idols of our own design. We have desired what is off limits. We have enjoyed what was not meant for us. This is who we are. Prodigals living recklessly, squandering our blessing, abusing our place, running from God and His goodness. That's who we are. But today, I want you to get the picture of the Father. God our Father who sees sinners, who longs for their return, who runs to them in joy, who takes upon himself the scorn they deserve, who restores, who redeems, who reconciles, who celebrates and blesses us. The son returned to the father because he had faith in the father. He had faith in his character. Do you have faith in God the Father? Do you have faith in his character? Do you believe that he loves you? That he accepts you? That he forgives you? That he would embrace you? See, Jesus is teaching in Luke 15 of a shepherd looking for his sheep and leaving the 99 to go find the one. Jesus teaches of the person that sweeps out every nook and cranny to find that coin that was lost and is now found. And Jesus is teaching here of a father watching and waiting, running and embracing and kissing and celebrating a son. Henry Nouwen says, God wants to find me as much as I want to find him. He says, as much if not more than I want to find him. He leaves the house. He ignores his dignity. He pays no heed to apologies or promises to change, but he prepares a table richly for me because he loves me. He goes on to say, God is not hiding and making it difficult to find him. No, 
We're the ones who follow Adam and Eve and go into the bushes and hide from the God who wants relationship with us, who is calling out our names in the cool of the afternoon because he desires us. We're the ones who run and hide. Why do we do that? Because we feel so unworthy and so unlovable. I say around here a decent bit, don't put a no in someone's mouth. Sean's been in enough meetings with me, he knows I say that. Don't put a no in someone's mouth. Maybe you've been asked by me to do something or to serve in something, and you're going, golly, I did not want to do that. Well, I'm not answering for you. I'm going to make you tell me no. We don't want to stop you from the opportunity to serve, to share, to greet, to do anything. We, we don't want to answer for you or say you would never do that. But you know what's even more dreadful? Is how often we put a no in God's mouth. We answer for Him. We deny Him the opportunity to love us. We take away from Him the ability to accept us. We must not put a no in God's mouth. There's a great songwriter by the name of Chris Renzema. And he puts into just some really great language some of what this son must have felt and really completes this parable really well at this point. He has a song, it's called How to Be Yours. And at first it starts off with like our voice. And Kennedy, you can throw it up on the screen for us. It says, you say that you love me. Don't say that you love me because I don't know how to be yours. He'll repeat that a few times. You say that you love me. Don't say that you love me because I don't know how to be yours. He'll then add, you say that you want me. Don't say that you want me, God, because I don't know how to be yours. I don't know how to be a son. I don't know how to stay in the home. I don't know how to follow the rules. I don't know how to live righteously. I don't know how to be holy. I don't know how to be yours. And then this song So the song is building out the guilt and the shame, the remorse, the humiliation, the embarrassment that we feel, the fear and the failure that flood our brains when we think about us in relation to God, that we cannot be loved, that we're not lovable, that we've ruined our chance. Don't say you love me, God, because I don't know how to live up to it. And then the song transitions. And at the very end, it's kind of God's voice speaking to us. We've said, don't say that you love me because I don't know how to be yours. Transition it for us. This is God. So love me or hate me. I'm not going anywhere. Leave me or take me. You still bear my signature. Know me or not, seen or forgotten, I'm not walking out on you. So love me or hate me. I'm not going anywhere. Leave me or take me. You still bear my signature. The image of God is still on you. Know me or not, seen or forgot, I'm not walking out on you. Church, may we get this? May we believe this? May may we embrace this and may we know it deep in our souls so that in those dark valleys of the night, may it be the piercing light that shines into and gives us hope. You are not worthy and yet you are loved. You have a debt you cannot pay and the cross paid it. You ruined your chance, and yet Jesus came to offer you another chance. 
The God we teach every Sunday is a God who runs to you, who seeks you, who gives you gifts that you do not deserve and that you can never buy. You are forgiven not by merit, but by mercy alone. You are forgiven not by your works, but by the work of Christ alone. Have you embraced this? Do you believe it? See, the son returns home because he has faith in the father. Do you have faith in the father? That what he says is true? Because if so, then you should believe 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you say to me that you have faith in God as the Father and the work of Christ on the cross, then you know that you can freely confess your sins and that He is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and to cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. We don't have to linger in fear and failure. We can believe. I'll end with this. One more lyric from a different song by Renzema. It says this. I promise you I will not waste your time thinking of ways to clear my name. Oh, Adonai, have mercy. If you're still listening to me, there's only one thing I need now. Oh, Adonai, have mercy. The chorus goes, I've got nothing to bring. Yes, I have nothing to bring. Friends, we come to God with nothing to bring. We have sinned into heaven. We're not worthy. But I hope we have faith in a God who will accept and embrace and run to us. We come repentant. We come empty. We come as sinners, but we also come believing that He will love us, that He will accept us that He will welcome us, that He will cleanse us, that He will forgive us. We believe that we can never be good enough, but His work is more than enough. I have nothing to bring. Oh, Adonai, have mercy. Let's pray.